0: Good morning church. I hope everybody is doing well today. Uh, my name is Justin Abercrombie and I serve as a student pastor here at Connection, which means I have the honor of serving and shepherding our middle school or high school and our college students. And I want you to keep that in mind, all right, because I'm about to say something. And now that you know that I'm the student pastor, it's not going to surprise you much. But given that Avengers Endgame came out this week, we're going to be looking at the endgame that we have in Christ. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation, all right? I'm kidding. That's not where we're going, but the Lord is avenger. He is an avenger. It says it in First Thessalonians. Hey, good morning again, church. I am so happy that you are here with us, with us today. I am honored uh, to be able to come and to share the word with you today, and uh, really, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, so hopefully you have your Bibles with you. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn there with me, and we're going to read some scripture and pray in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you what we're talking about today. I want to go ahead and give you an idea of where we are going, and it really all comes down to this, the church. Who are we? Today, I want to answer three questions for you, and the first one is, who are we as the church? Who really? What is God's design for the church? Who does he say that we are? The second thing is, what are we called to do? Is what has God called us to do as the church? And if you haven't caught on just yet, the second one is completely dependent on the first. It is only when we truly understand who we are as the church, who God has called us to be, that we can understand what God has called us to do. Amen? And then the third question is this, is what does that look like? Because you see, I don't know about you, but there are so many times that I hear things, I read it in scripture, but then I need somebody, a discipler to come alongside me, my brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside me, and the Holy Spirit inside me to help me to discern, what does this look like for me? How do I take this and walk it out each and every day? And that's my hope and prayer for us today, is that we wouldn't just receive some information, but that we would be transformed and that we would live out what God has called us to live out. Amen? Amen. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, I want us to read just a couple of verses, stop and pray, and I want us to read starting in verse 32 and on through Ephesians 5, verse 2, and it says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, church, before we pray, I want to go ahead and just let you know that I pray today you would feel a little bit of holy discomfort. And so I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone in just a little while, and that's going to start right now. And so, as awkward as this might be, I want you to turn, I want you to look at the people that are sitting beside you. You get a good look at them? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Whether you know those people or you don't, right now I want us to stop and pray and ask God to prepare our hearts for receiving his word. But here's what I want to ask you to do too. Those people that you just looked at in this room, I want you to pray for them as well, that God would prepare their hearts to receive God's word as well. So do that, in church, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together, Lord, as your body, a body of believers, the body of Christ, Lord, and lift high your name. God, I thank you for each and every person that you have gathered here in this room, and God, I know that you have a plan and purpose, Lord, that you have brought us together to be equipped to hear your word, and so God, we thank you for your word. God, your word tells us, I'm reminded, Lord, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, and he says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and the knowledge of you, Jesus, would be given to these people. Well, God, I pray that exact same thing for each and every person in the room today, including myself. God, I pray that you would come. Lord, we know that you are here, that your spirit and your presence are here in this place. But God, I pray that you would break down any walls, any distractions, any barriers that we have set up between us and you. Lord, I'm reminded also in your word that it says that Jesus has removed any dividing wall of hostility. God, I pray that you would do the same for us today. Any distraction, Lord, that you would remove it out of the way so that we can focus on you and we can hear from you today. And God, we know that you want to speak to us God, I pray that through your word and by the power of your spirit, God, that you would correct us when we need to be corrected. Lord, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And God, that you would show us who we truly are, who you have called us to be as the church. God, I pray for the believers in the room, the brothers and sisters in Christ, people who say that they are in Christ. God, I pray that you would grow us, Lord, that you would show us how to better walk in Jesus' way. God, and become more and more like Jesus every day and walk in the calling that you have given us as the church. And God, for non-believers in the room, God, I thank you for those people whom you have drawn here today. And Lord, I pray, God, as we read your word, God, as we just experience this grace that you have given us in your word, God, that you would use your word and by the power of your spirit that you would work in their hearts, God, that you would draw them to yourself and that today would be this day of salvation for many in this place. God, that is our heart and that is our prayer. But God, we devote this time to you. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you and to better walk in your way. Lord, we give you this time and Lord, we thank you for it. And above all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, church, again, I told you we're gonna be really looking at three questions. Who are we as the church? What has God called us to do? And what does that look like? And so I want to start someplace, and I've got this whiteboard. Don't worry, it's just for doodles, okay? Uh, No, not really, all right? I want to write a couple of things on here, but I need your help, okay? And this might seem a little elementary, but it is going to be vital if we are going to understand who we are and what God has called us to do as the church. And so when you think of the word church, what does it mean? And I want to hear from you. Don't worry, you can talk in church, okay? I want to hear from you. What do you think of when you hear the word church? Or when you say the word church, what are you referring to? Any ideas? The body of Christ. Amen. That's getting right on into the meat of the message. Thank you. That's awesome. There it is. I just heard one. You know, when I think of the word church, and in studying for this, there are really four things that I I recognize that we are referring to when we say the word church. And this is going to be really important understanding who we are. And the first one is a building. Right? So when you say, I am going to the church, you are referring to a building that I am going to that brick-and-mortar place over there, that this is the building, the church building. This is one of the first things that we think of when we use the word church. The second one that I can think of is an event. But think about it. When you tell somebody that you are going to church on Sunday, then you are saying you are going to a Christian worship event, right? This is the second way that we think of and what we mean when we say the word church. The third one is institution. And what I mean when I say institution is an organization, right? That this is an organization with officers, with leaders, with employees, with paid staff, with budgets, with policies, right? So you would say, I paid my tithe. I donated to the church. Well, really what you are saying is I gave my money to a 501c3 nonprofit ministry organization, right? Anybody? Yes. That is what you mean, right? So that is one of the biggest things that we mean when we say church is that we are referring to an institution and the people that are employed by that institution, right? And then the fourth one is what I heard earlier, and it is body slash community. And I want to really explain for you what I mean when I say body and what I mean when I say community, right? I want us to truly understand what that means for us to be the body of Christ. You see, when Paul says that we are the body of Christ, that is not simply a metaphor, right? What he is saying is that the church is a body of people, men, women, and children who live underneath the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, amen? Amen. And this body's purpose, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, is to extend the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over the entire face of the earth and fill this entire earth with his glory. Amen? This is also what we mean. But you see, here's the catch. All four of these things mean church. But there's only one of them that's truly biblical. Which one is that? Four. And you see, that is extremely important. It may seem elementary, but it is important for us to understand who we are, who God says we are, how God has designed us to be, because it is only when we understand who we are that we can truly step into and obey and do what God has called us to do, right? So we need to understand who we are. To take this a step further, You're already in Ephesians 4, but I want you to back up and let's read starting in verse 1. And Paul says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I want you to stop there for a moment and see what Paul is saying. And he is talking about our unity. Think about it, just looking around here in this room, thinking about the people that you turned to earlier and you were looking at them. Consider that each and every one of us have different backgrounds, different places that we come from, different ways to walk, different ways to talk, right? But there is one thing that brings us together and only one thing, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? And Jesus has done that, church. Even if you're a non-believer in the room, that this is a testament to the glory and the goodness and the grace of God that God can take a people who were walking in darkness and bring them into light because of the blood of his Son. Amen? This is what God has done. And think about this, because here's an also truth, is that anytime that we get people together, and we become a body, and we become a community, there are going to be differences, right? There are going to be differences of opinion. There are going to be scuffles. There are going to be arguments. But here's what Paul is saying. He says that even those, though those things may exist... This body cannot be ripped apart because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit cannot be ripped apart. Amen? That in the same way that God is one and united in himself, so also is his body. Incredible, right? He says that we have been unified by the power of the Spirit. One Spirit, one Lord, King Jesus Christ, and one Father. This is who unites us. And then in verse 7, he says this. Read along with me. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, I want you to stop for just a moment, and I want you to see what Paul is saying. He is saying that even in the midst of our unity, that we have an incredible diversity, that Christ, because of the sacrifice that he has paid, the price that he has paid, that we now receive grace, that we receive gifts, spiritual gifts. You see, in the Greek, that word is charisma, right? It refers to acts of service. We're gonna get there in a moment. But Paul says that as a product of being the body, being in Christ, you, every one of you, has received a gift of grace, amen? And church, I wanna remind you, you see, maybe not all of you understand your gift, some of you grew a little bit more in this in that March 10th when we got together and we talked about our spiritual gifts, right? Whether you know your gift or not, if you are in Christ, you have received one and we need your gift because it's the way that the body is supposed to work. All people doing their work, doing their part and giving their gifts to the, to the Lord ultimately to build up the body, amen? He says that grace has been given. We may have different gifts, But it all comes from the same grace and the same giver of the gifts, King Jesus Christ. There is diversity even in the midst of our unity. And read along with me here. He says in verse 8, quoting Psalm 68, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Well, what he's doing is he is quoting a psalm that goes all the way back to depicting Yahweh as the divine warrior. And God, stepping down from Mount Zion, goes and he begins fighting battle after battle. And he becomes victorious and victorious and victorious. And after all of his victories, he ascends once again to Mount Zion. And this time, he gives the spoils of war, these grace gifts, to all of his people. And Paul is saying that Christ has done just that. And he explains it a bit more in verse 9. Listen to this. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Well, this is what Paul is saying is that King Jesus, being one with God in the Father's presence, stepped down from heaven and took on human flesh like you and me in his incarnation. And he died on the cross for our sins, right? But he was raised to life on the third day, which is what we celebrated last week at Easter. And in that, what the world said was defeat. What the world said was foolishness. God calls victory in our redemption. Amen? That's what he's saying. He's saying that King Jesus has won the war. It's over. The battle must still be fought, but the war is over. The victory is his. And as a result of that victory, defeating every single power that could come against him. Remember, Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians that there were rulers and principalities and authorities, but Jesus put them to open shame by nailing them to the cross. He is saying, King Jesus, the victory is his. And as a result of his victory, you and I are beneficiaries. We have been given grace gifts, each one of us. And we have been given them to build up the body. Amen? Incredible. Paul continues here and he says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And I want you to pause there for just a moment. And I want to remind you again of remember that word that Paul says that we have been given. Spiritual gifts, charisma, it literally means grace given. And everywhere else in the Bible, there are only two places. Here in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. Every other place in the Bible, whenever Paul mentions charisma, spiritual gifts, he is referring to ministries. He's referring to functions. He is saying that these are the way that we serve the body. Think again of those gifts, maybe, that you recognized on March 10th. Perhaps it is teaching, leadership, mercy, hospitality, all of these different gifts, right? Well, what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 4, remember only one of two places in the entire New Testament, is he is saying that that grace, that spiritual gift, that charisma is people. It's people. And it is ultimately the leaders that God has given to the church. That these are the people who are called to lead the church, to serve the church, and to equip the church. And what are they called to do in verse 12? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I want you to walk through this with me just so that we can make full sense of what Paul is saying. In Ephesians 4, he is saying that God, Christ, gives leaders. Those leaders are apostles. They are prophets. They are evangelists. They are shepherds. They are teachers. Don't worry, I'll make sure to move out of the way so you can see. And he gives his leaders, these leaders to the church. For what reason? To equip. Amen. Now, who are these leaders called to equip? The saints, right? The saints. By the way, I need to remind you here is that if you are in Christ, you are a saint. Amen? Amen redeemed, purchased, prized, paid for by the blood of Jesus. You are a saint, no longer a sinner who is walking in darkness. Remember Ephesians 2, you were walking in darkness, but God raised us up and made us alive with Christ, being rich in mercy because of his mercy. Amen? That we are the saints who are to be equipped, and the saints are then equipped to do ministry. Now, when we get to this place, we have to stop because, you see, we have another language challenge. In the same way that church can mean multiple things, and most times we get it wrong and we use the wrong thing, the wrong definition, ministry also can get construed, right? Misconstrued. Think about it. For example, when I say the word ministry, you think of what? Church work, right? But you see, that is not at all what Paul meant. I want you to remember again that Paul says that Jesus descended and ascended once again and gave gifts to his people. Why? So that Jesus could fill all things. So that his rule and his reign would extend over all of creation. He himself would fill all things. That he would receive the glory, the honor, praise that he is worthy of, right? To fill all things. What this means, what Paul has in mind for ministry, is not what we typically think, right? We typically think of it this way. Pastors do ministry, plumbers don't, right? Missionaries do ministry, electricians don't, right? Bible study leaders do ministry, daycare workers don't. That couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth. Amen. Ministry, allow me to properly define it for you, is any act of service that brings God glory. Any act of service, anything you do, remember Paul writes elsewhere, everything that you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. What this means in its proper context is that ministry can't be just confined to a little sacred bubble anymore. It means that if Jesus is Lord of all, Jesus is truly Lord of all. Amen? Amen? And we as his people, the new creation, the redeemed and spirit-filled people, it means that everything that you and I can do, it can be redeemed. And we can use it to join Jesus in his work of making all things new. Amen? Ministry, take it out of the box. Here's what it means, truly, when we understand what Paul is saying. He's asking this question, What does it look like then? How does Jesus extend his rule and reign over everything? What does it look like? Well, Paul says this. This is what it looks like. Christ gives the church leaders to equip the saints, which is the church body, to do ministry which is now, I'll say this, any work that manifests Christ's rule and reign. Remember the first question was, who are we? This is who we are. And what are we called to do? To equip The saints. But you see, you and I will never truly understand that until we first understand who we are, who God says that we are. Remember, it all comes back to us being the body of Christ, being the community of people who live under the lordship of Jesus. But you see, what happens when we get it wrong as we typically do, and what I realize is that instead of referring to the church as the body as a community of believers, when we say church, we typically mean institution. 501c3 nonprofit ministry organization. Here's what happens, however, when you and I define church as institution. And this is what we will and do affectionately call here at the church BS, broken system. I promise you that's what it stands for. Broken system, all right? And under a broken system, Whenever we see the church as an institution, this is what happens. We see that Christ gives the saints. And the saints then serve to equip the church leaders. And the church leaders, the paid staff, are then paid to do what? All the ministry. Does that make sense? You can be honest. If you're tracking with me, if you're not, you can be like, "Uh uh-uh, you tracking with me? This is what happens whenever we look at the church as an institution and not who God calls us to be. Instead of truly walking in the calling that God has given for us, we start walking in the broken system. But I want to show you what happens and why this leads to so much turmoil, so so much indifference, so much burnout. It's because when Christ gives the saints, the saints then get elevated to a place where they're not supposed to immediately and the saints become the leaders. We need to remind ourselves that God gives the church leaders as grace gives to His church. But under the broken system, the saints become the leaders. What then becomes of the church leaders? They become the institutional church. And the institutional, excuse me, church, everything that they do, all of their ministry, it exists for this purpose, to increase the size and influence of the church. is it starting to make sense why that is a broken system? Because this leads people to burnout. What happens as a result of this system is instead of people being empowered and equipped to do the ministry that they've been called to do, they get used. They get used. They get pulled on for everything. And it quickly burns them out, and it just seems like they're just spinning wheels over and over and over again. And you see, one of the biggest travesties of us actually functioning as a broken system is this. It assumes that Jesus gave the church, he's Lord over the church, and then he just retired to church work. And he's not Lord over everything and anything else. That's a huge lie. Jesus is Lord of all. He's Jesus is Lord of everything. Amen? And our purpose that stems from who we are, Our purpose is to equip the saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you see, here's the beauty in all of this that I want you to see, and I want to be completely honest with you. I want to apologize for the ways that we have failed to equip you. And I want to thank you for the ministry that you're doing. Those of you who are, you understand your God-given calling. And I praise God that he has equipped you in spite of us to go and to do that ministry. And you see, here's one of the truths that if we're truly going to step into Ephesians 4 and we're going to do it well, that we're going to be who God calls us to be and do what God calls us to do. It means that as I am equipping people, as a church leader here, that I eventually work myself out of a job. But praise God, because if I do and it means more faithful people to come behind me and continue to extend Christ's rule and reign in this earth, so be it. Amen? It means that, but it means it requires of us humility to walk and do what God has called us to do. So in order for us to step into Ephesians 4, us as church leaders, here's what needs to happen, and it's a shift in our thinking, and it's a major one. We have to shift our thinking. That could have been dangerous there. We need to shift our thinking from using people to empowering people. We need to shift our thinking from growing this institution and the size and influence of it to growing disciples, which is God which God has called us to do. And we must shift our thinking from measuring attendance to celebrating faithfulness all throughout the week. Because here's the truth You have been given a gift for a reason. And it is to build up the body. And look what happens whenever we're walking in this. is who we are and what we're called to do. Look at what happens. I want you to read along with me here in verse 13. And Paul writes, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Is that as we walk in this and we're constantly teaching and constantly equipping and doing our God-given ministries, we will grow up. We will become mature men and women in Christ and we ourselves will grow more and more into the image of Christ. Think about what a waste it would be to come here every single Sunday and never be equipped and never grow into the image of Christ. If that's happening, it means that we're walking in a broken system and not what God calls us to do. But we are called to grow up into the image of Christ. And we do this in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Remember, he is saying that you do this so that you can withstand the devil's schemes, so that you can withstand false teachers' teaching, that you may grow up, that you may stand firm in your faith. And this happens how? Read along, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, By every joint with which it is equipped, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen? That this is what happens, that when we actually walk into our God-given calling, we actually start to look like the church. Amazing, right? And what happens when the church is the church and the church is doing what God has called the church to do? People are drawn to the Spirit of God. They are. They are drawn in. That they see that Jesus is working in a mighty way. They claim He is. i got to go see it for myself. But you see, it's not about getting them to come to this building, rather. None of this is about getting people gathered in a room. You see, success in ministry is not how many people you can gather in a room, but rather how many people you can send out. That's my heart and prayer for our church. And it's inevitable that when we start to do ministry, manifesting Christ's rule and reign in the world, you will be sent. Praise God, you will be sent. And this comes as a result of being equipped. But you see, this is what it all comes down to. We've talked about who we are. We've talked about who has God called us to be. What has he called us to do? But then it begs the question, well, what does this look like each and every day? What does this look like for me to step into the ministry that God has called me to do? I want to be completely honest and humble with you this morning. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you specifically. But I can tell you this, God has called you to a ministry and he's given you all the gifts that you need to be successful and to walk in that ministry, all of it. I don't know specifically what it looks like, but I can promise you this from a 3,000, 30,000 foot view, it looks new. It looks like walking in the new that Jesus has made possible for you and me. It looks like as we walk in the new, as we put off the old and we put on the new as we're about to read in a moment, That we get to join Jesus in his work of making all things new. That as we live this way with our brothers and sisters beginning here first. That we are extending Christ's rule and reign over the entire earth. This is our purpose. And although we play a small role in this, it's an important role. This body of believers here. Church, I want to ask you a question with the few minutes that we have left here this morning. And it's kind of a general question. Because I want you to think about your own individual circumstance in a moment. But has anybody ever stepped into a new season of life? Anything new? New work? New job? New car? Right? Anything new? And I want you to think about what's required of you for you to actually step into what's new. And that means some things have to change, right? There has to be some change on your part, right? If you're actually going to honor this new and walk in this new. Well, you see, for me, I recently stepped into a new season in life. I don't know if you realize this, but I got married last year in December, and it's awesome. It is awesome, and I have learned so much, so much, okay? Now, married man, I know you're like rolling your eyes. You're like, how long have you been married? Well, five months, but trust me, you learn a lot, even in five months, Right? You know, I married in December my beautiful wife Katie, who is here with her family, and it has just been absolutely amazing, but I can tell you this, I learned very quickly some things we're going to have to change for me, right? Some things we're going to have to change, right? Let's just do a commentary on marriage, you know, really quickly, okay? People always ask you whenever you get engaged, uh, well, when's the date? And I'm like, we just got engaged yesterday, like, give me a minute, okay? And then as soon as you get married, everybody's like, when are you having children, I'm like, just, why would you ask that? That's none of your business at all. Like, thank you, I can, I can handle this on my own, but no thank you, all right? But then the one question that I do really appreciate is that what have you learned? What have you learned? Well, I can tell you I've learned a lot, right? You know, when I was engaged to Katie, it was easy for me to admit that I was marrying a sinner. Now that I am married to Katie, it's really easy for me to admit that she's married to a sinner, right here's what I've learned real honestly I have learned that I am a sinner in need of grace I'm a sinner in need of grace and I need to give grace too that I'm given grace in order to give grace and that I need forgiveness I need it but I also need to extend forgiveness And you see, here's what I realized looking back just on this entire process, right? Leading up to our wedding day in December, I remember that Katie and I constantly prayed and then we made vows to one another that God, don't let our marriage be about us. God, use our marriage to extend your rule, your reign, so that when people on the outside look into our marriage, that they can see the love of Jesus, that we may be a beacon of hope, that we may be a testimony to your goodness, your faithfulness, God. And even though that's a small part, God, use this small part. Use our marriage to make much of you and not much of us. But you see, what I realize is that in order for me to truly see that happen, for Katie and I's marriage to truly reflect the love of Jesus, I'm going to have to love Katie like Christ loved the church. And I don't just mean from a theoretical point. I mean, I'm actually going to have to love her like Christ loved the church. I'm going to have to step into it. And things about me are going to have to change. But you see, here's what I realize. Even though that change is painful and it's tough and it's hard at times, I don't have to worry about falling apart because I'm not holding together my marriage. Jesus is. He's holding it together. All of it. And it's never been about me. He's holding it together. And he's given us a foundation, a sure and strong foundation for us to build upon to use our marriage, to God, for God to use our marriage, to make much of Him. And our marriage, our marriage is Katie and I's ministry. One of many that God has blessed us with. And you see, my heart and prayer is that you would leave this place more confident and equipped in spite of a failure of equipping, that you would ask God to equip you to better do the ministry that God has called you to do as the church. We all have a role in this. And you see, I don't know exactly what this looks like for you, but I can tell you this is what it includes. And I want you to read again with me here, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And Paul writes, be kind to one another. Be kind. Always look out for the best in others. Because you know yourself there is no good in you, but if you are in Christ, then Jesus died for you even when you were enemies with him. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Be compassionate. And forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, it's very difficult for us to extend forgiveness to one another, right? But here's the truth. We only have to forgive one sin at a time. Jesus forgave a lifetime of sins for you and me. Amen? And this is what compels us to extend the same forgiveness. And he says in Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, you and I, you may not know what your ministry is, but I can tell you this. It looks like being equipped by the gifts that God has given the church. And you yourself, after being equipped, stepping into the ministry, forgiving one another, loving one another as Christ loved us and set an example in laying his life down for us. You see, each and every one of us are called to a ministry. I pray that you're equipped to do that ministry and that you would walk in it as a result of today. Church, as we close here today, I want you to take another look around the room and I want you to look at those people that you looked at earlier. Yeah, you know those people that you just awkwardly looked at and didn't talk to them? Well, if you don't know them, I want you to introduce yourself to them. I want you to introduce yourself to them See, you can talk in church. How are we supposed to speak the truth in love if we don't speak at all to one another, right? And church, as we close in prayer, I want to remind you of this, that each and every person that you just spoke to, they are either a part of the body of Christ or we hope and pray that they will soon become a part of the body of Christ. And if you are a part of the body of Christ or will become a part of the body of Christ, then you have a ministry that God has called you to do. Amen? You have a ministry. Each and every person that you just spoke to, that God has equipped them, that God has given them different gifts to go and to extend Christ's rule and reign over all the earth. What an incredible honor for us to come together as brothers and sisters and to pray for one another's ministries. As I pray, I want you to again uh, pray for the people that you prayed for at the beginning of this service. But you know what? Now you have a name. Now you have a brother and sister. Now you have somebody whom you know that God has given to you as the body of Christ. And they, just like you, have been called to do a ministry. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the way that your spirit is moving in this place. And God, I pray that you would continue to move. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just open our eyes, God, that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to understand who we are, to understand what it is that you've called us to do as the church and to understand what this looks like each and every day. God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to move in our hearts. God, for the believers in the room, Lord, I pray that you would solidify, that you would show them, God, if you haven't already, the gifts that you have given them, the ways that they can contribute to this body. And God, that you would show them the ministries that you have called them to do as a result of the gifts that you have given them. God, would you just strengthen that in them and just give them everything that they need to step out, Lord, to extend your rule and reign over all this earth. And God, for unbelievers in the room, God, I pray that as they look and as they realize that there is someone beside them praying for them right now, that, God, you would use that to compel them, Lord, to step forward at the end of this service, to come forward and say, I surrender my life to Jesus. I receive him as the Lord and Savior of my life. And today I am stepping into what God is calling me to do. God, thank you so much for the salvations we may see in this place today. God, as we leave this place, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of everything, that you would keep all of these things on our hearts and minds, God, that you would remind us of who we are, what it is that you have called us to do, and, Lord, how we go about doing that. Lord, we thank you for today once again. We thank you for these truths, and, God, I thank you for the church. Lord, your hope for the world, the hope of the world, God, the Spirit-filled and redeemed people, God, I pray, Lord, as a church leader, that instead of trying to collect them, God, that I would equip them, that I would send them out, that we together as church leaders would do that and do what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Church, have a great day, a good week, and we'll see you next week.